The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning or afternoon, as the case might be. You're listening to America's Web Radio, and it's time now for a lesson in history. And we always get that from our good friend, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg, as we discuss remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Now, stop for just a second and ask yourself, do you remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm? And what were they all about? And what... Why were we even over there? So think about it. But one thing about it, after you've thought about it and we come back, we will tell you about it, or Colonel Forsberg will, and uh, make sure that everybody's well aware of what happened about 30 years ago. But as always, we start all of our shows off with a silent prayer for our active duty folks, our veterans, and our emergency responders, our first responders, because we always want to keep them in our thoughts. And uh, I don't know how many people remember or not, but Fridays are supposed to be Red Shirt Fridays in honor of our first responders. So if you remember, wear a red shirt on Friday and let them know. We'll be back with Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm right after this. God bless America. And we always like to uh, start any of our military-type shows off with something that we all remember that have been in, and uh, no matter how much time we were in, even if it was just a short period of time, we still got to participate in those Jodies at dark, old dark 30 in the morning and then during the day as we were going from one place to the other, double time, and we would get to, uh, do a, sing a Jody. So here we go. Make sure your hearts are beating. So, anyway, uh, Phil, is your heart beating? Yes, as a matter of fact, it is. Okay, well, good. Good. And we're ready to go with remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And uh, 
How many people do you come up to, well, yeah, every day or every now and then or whatever the circumstance might be, and and just ask, do you remember Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and what were they all about? And how many well, people uh, can answer you? Uh, you know, uh, fewer today than, uh, let's say, a year or two afterwards. Because, uh, you know, uh, it's been 30 plus years, uh, since then. And, uh, although I haven't aged any, it, uh, you know, it's something, there's a lot of folks, uh, doing meaningful jobs in the world these days that, uh, weren't even born then. <clears throat> so, um, you know, it can't all be, you know, laid at their feet that they don't remember because, well, many of them, uh, weren't even born around through it. Yeah. yeah. So, but I think it's a good idea for us to, um, you know, to, to keep the, the memory alive. You know, they, they, those who don't learn from history are destined to repeat it. Um, and so, you know, I, I do appreciate, uh, the opportunity to let folks know uh, and give a perspective on uh, what we did, when we did it, and why we did it. Because, you know, uh, there are valuable lessons to be learned. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a little piece of history that uh, I lived through. Um, and, you know, as I look back, it doesn't have uh, enormous... Uh, significance, except, you know, there, uh, a lot of things happened since then. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, having all these infidel, uh, Westerners there in the land of Saudi Arabia is what really stuck in, uh, Osama bin Laden's craw. <clears throat> we were polluting his, uh, holy kingdom there. Um, so that kind of, you know, when they say one, one war always leads into the next. And, uh, uh, well, um, <clears throat> I'll tell you, I wasn't there to pollute anything. And, uh, the, uh, the king of Saudi Arabia was very, very grateful for us to be there. So, um, I'll just say that I, I don't think that I was, uh, uh, a burden or, there to uh, pollute anything. In fact, uh, the, from the moment I got there, uh, the first thing I thought about was leaving. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but I will tell you that uh, the uh, the King of Saudi Arabia gave us all sorts of things. He gave us tents. He gave us all of our fuel. Uh, he gave us a great number of our meals. And it was uh, uh, rumored I don't know how true it was that the king of Saudi Arabia was willing to give $10,000 uh, cash to every uh, American soldier that participated. But uh, thankfully, our nation uh, intervened, and uh, I didn't get my $10,000. They, they explained to the king that our, our soldiers are not mercenaries. But we don't go fight for money. But <clears throat> I may have negotiated different terms than that. Um, however, 
I did get a, a very nice little metal or small piece of uh, 24 karat gold uh, frost uh, scimitars and uh, palm tree on it um, as a, a souvenir of my vacation there in uh, the Holy Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Well, I, I guess in reality, uh, well, the invasion of Kuwait and then uh, going into Desert Shield and Desert Storm, uh, other than in the 50s, when Saudi Arabia nationalized the oil wells, we really hadn't had a whole lot to uh, do with the Middle East, had we? You know, I think increasingly as uh, petroleum had become uh, significant, the, uh, you know, the the interest from both uh, the Americans and the Warsaw Pact, um, you know, uh, sort of accelerated. And uh, I know that... uh, we, I participated in a number of uh, uh, tabletop exercises uh, specifically uh, aimed at uh, fighting in that area. Uh, we were quite uh, convinced at one point that the Soviets uh, were going to come down and <clears throat> take over Iran. And, uh, but uh, uh, thankfully that never materialized. Uh, I would say, uh, yeah, there, uh, there's been interest, and of course that's uh, one of the concentrations of why, why we wanted to uh, have our presence in Iran back prior to their uh, revolution in uh, 1979. Uh, <clears throat> we. Uh, you know, from, from my earliest involvement in, uh, military, uh, which would have been, uh, um, ROTC, which I began in 1978, <clears throat> there was significant, um, uh, interest in that part of the world. And it was, it, it was, uh, explained, uh, to me by certain individuals. We got there, uh, my question was, how could we have built all this up quite as quickly uh, as we needed to? And <clears throat> you've heard me say this before, David. Uh, I think an awful lot of credit needs to go to those folks who do military planning because they really have done their homework in this case. Um, for instance, the, the airport... Uh, that we set up on King Fahd International Airport. Um, today is a, you know, it's a, it's a commercial airport serving the city of Damam. Um, but it, uh, you know, there was, there seems to be any reason for that airport to be where it was. But, uh, I'm told that <clears throat> back as early as the Nixon administration, the, um, our planners had told the king of Saudi Arabia this this would be an excellent place to put an airport, a big airport. So we had two 
10,000 foot uh, parallel runways uh, suddenly in an area that seemed to support that kind of thing. But it was very, very handy. Uh, let's see, what else? There was a, I heard reports that uh, we had pre-positioned uh, things to the point where uh, when uh, when it was time to uh, get ready to fight, the uh, they would just run some uh, run a tractor over to uh, some piece of sand, brush away the sand, find the to- the uh, lifting shackle, and uh, suddenly be pulling trucks up out of the sand that have been pre-positioned there. Um, uh, there were a lot of things that, that happened that really kind of uh, impressed me, I'll say that way, uh, if not uh, rocking my world about, you know, just how in-depth the planning was. Um, so it was very, uh, you know, it was an awful lot of planning went into it, and uh, there was quite a bit of interest from uh, both sides uh, because you recall the Soviet Union was still a going entity in 1990 and uh, we tended to never uh, intervene in any part of the world without considering what what are the implications uh, with the Soviet. Uh, I thought the Desert Storm was very instructive because we had uh, all of our best equipment and we also had um, the Iraqis with uh, all the best Soviet equipment and Soviet uh, advisors, Soviet doctrine, and uh, it was an excellent uh, showdown. Um, and as you've heard me say before, it was really the last big force-on-force uh, engagement, uh, kind of World War II style, uh, where you had lot divisions online up against divisions online and uh, yeah but the preparation we had with the air war uh, the ground conflict was uh, roughly 100 hours so gotta be uh, gotta be somewhat impressed with that I thought it was amazing you know and and uh we we sometimes question our military, but there was no question about that and what we did and what we were capable of doing then. And you know, I, it all comes back down to leadership as well. And we had good leadership, and um, I think we were better prepared then than we've we are today. And <laughs> We're ready to take on whatever came towards us and uh, showed the world that uh, you really don't mess with the United States. And uh, we showed yeah. them in a lot of ways. Well, um, yeah, but, you know, that kind of readiness, that kind of uh, uh, resolve is all very uh, quite perishable. And I think uh, lately we've squandered a great deal of those uh, resources. Uh, <clears throat> you know, um, 
if you recall, not too, just a couple of years after Desert Shield and Desert Storm, um, we <clears throat> had the, this fight in uh, Mogadishu. Still not quite certain why we were there, but um, the, uh, <clears throat> the Clinton administration had uh, decided that we weren't, we weren't going to upset our own armored forces in there. We were just going to rely on uh, Pakistani armored units. And, um, of course, uh, their inability to get to where they were needed was what caused the whole uh, Black Hawk Down debacle. And um, i got to tell you, you know, when you have assets, strategic assets like... Delta Force and the Rangers and Seals and the other special operators who are willing to do the most dramatic things for the least amount of recognition. Um, you know, in order to um, squander the lives of these men in that way really does significant damage to a strategic asset and uh, find uh, you know, next time you need them, they may not be there. Uh, they, I'm sure they have trouble filling their rank as well. And uh, it's tragic. It is. And, uh, you know, I contend that we could use them today. And uh, I would like someone to have the guts to uh, stand up and say that we need to send a covert action into Mexico and take care of the cartels and take care of the uh, drugs. By the way, uh, we're going to be starting a new show in the very near future, uh, and it's going to be all about fentanyl. And uh, it'll be a psychiatrist that's very well, she's, she's very versed in it, and has treated a number of people, and she's going to tell us the ins and outs. And, uh, you know, an overdose of fentanyl may be taking one pill. So it's going to be very informative and something that parents particularly should listen to, but everybody should listen to, because it is such a major crisis today, and... Until our government addresses it, it's going to continue to be a crisis. And that's where I think we're at the point, in my opinion, that we need to send our guys in and clean it up. No ifs, ands, and buts. And uh, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they're breaking international law by, by bringing the drugs in. We wouldn't be breaking international laws by stopping it. But that's just my opinion. And like you said, well, though, we have the greatest in the world, and Delta and uh, the SEALs and some other special units that we have. <clears throat> you know, no doubt. Um, but, you know, this administration seems to have brought us on to the brink of war with Russia and China, and now Mexico. Um, so, uh, I don't, you know, I think uh, 
I don't know what the political strategy might have been, uh, maybe to uh, <clears throat> to create problems, you know, for the first two years and then come up with solutions for the second two, riding in like a hero, but uh, it just looks really, really bad. Um, I'm just very concerned about... Uh, You know, in the past, we've gone into Mexico on a number of occasions, uh, uh, not least of which the, Spanish, the Mexican-American War, uh, 1846, 1848. But <clears throat> uh, we also, you know, went into Veracruz with the Marines under Woodrow Wilson. We also had uh, Pershing's punitive measures in uh, in Mexico uh, against Pacho Villa. And, uh, you know, one of the things that really stirred uh, the United States to going to war uh, in Europe in World War One was uh, a telegram that was intercepted between uh, the Kaiser's forces and um, the Mexican government. Uh, promising them if they went to war against the United States that, uh, that Germany would guarantee them all of California and Texas and New Mexico and Arizona, you know, uh, would all be returned to Mexico. And, uh, yeah, so, <clears throat> you know, this, uh, I'm not how, so sure uh, how close an ally they are. This, uh, uh, Lopez Obrador seems to be completely uh, either on the take or um, or completely <clears throat> compromised by the drug cartels and uh, now making threats that uh, he's going to start an information campaign to uh, make sure that no Mexican Americans vote for a Republican if they you know, continue to pursue this. You know, the man's delusional. He's saying that there's no fentanyl being manufactured. <laughs> demonstrably incorrect. Um, so, you know, we need, we really need to uh, come up with a strategy there, but we don't have anybody <clears throat> leadership in uh, in the administration who has that capacity for uh, planning and uh, execution of anything remotely similar. It's a shame. And something's going to, you know, it's going to come to a head and something's going to have to be done. We can't continue on uh, with the number of folks that are being affected by the fentanyl. And, uh, you know, you see it walking right across our border and it's got to be stopped. And, you know, I'm... I'm not big on shooting them, but as far as I'm concerned, they're no better than somebody breaking into your house. They're breaking into our country, and what do you do if somebody's breaking into your house? You stop them any way you can. And uh, I think with... Threat. Pardon me? You stop the threat. Yes. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think... Um, <clears throat> Some of our helicopters uh, equipped 
with the uh, Hellfire missiles uh, might put a stop to some of the cartel messing around, you know. Uh, and it would take our boots on the ground to find where some of these people are or where they hide, but you kill a few of them and they'll think twice about messing with us. <clears throat> and it's going to come down to that. We can't we can't continue as it is. And I don't believe any expert would say we could or can. So, Well, you know, the source of a great deal of this <clears throat> fentanyl, the, the materials uh, coming out of China, and, you know, the, the Chinese obviously wish to uh, visit on us. The, uh, <clears throat> the indignation they suffered during the opium wars and um, so they are bringing about this uh, their opium war against us, if you will. <clears throat> and I think, uh, you know, we need to wake up and start getting serious uh, about defending ourselves, uh, recognizing threats, recognizing who's been compromised. <clears throat> you know, those folks who... Uh, who are the apologists for the uh, communist Chinese? You know, you follow the follow the uh, money, and you find out that these folks are are compromised with uh, Chinese money. Uh, you know, say, how it is? No question about it, and uh, you know it. The United States should only have, or the leader of the United States, if we had one, should only have to say stop it once. Not twice, not three times, or not turn his head and play like it's not happening. He should only have to say, or she should only have to say, stop it and stop it now, or you will be suffering the consequences. And... Um, they are going to suffer the consequences. It's just a matter of if and when. Uh, we're going to take a break while we're here, and um, we'll be back with Philip Farsberg and Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm right after a couple of messages. Stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. 
That's www.americaswebradio.com. If you want the truth about politics, medicine, weapons, classic cars, and more, you'll want to tune in to America's Web Radio. You can listen to all of your favorite shows live at www.americaswebradio.com or on demand on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. That's www.americaswebradio.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we do appreciate you listening to all of our shows. And uh, as many of you know and have found out, we have some of the most fantastic shows going. Everything from the Doctor's Lounge to uh, other veteran-type shows, uh, a veteran's place. Uh, we also have... A Bite of Reality. That's every Friday. And we have our host, Mark, attorney at law in New York, Mark the Shark. And he does a heck of a job. And uh, I think you'll, I, in fact, I don't even think, I know you'll enjoy it. So tune in on Fridays and uh, let's get back to our show, Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And our host, Philip Forsberg. Well, thank you, David. Um, you know, whenever we send our troops into combat, um, we expect that, uh, and we uh, have been proven right over the years, that a number of them are going to be injured uh, and uh, are going to require uh some sort of, uh, fixing and, uh, you know, they may have long-term disabilities. And, you know, you gotta remember the guy that goes to, uh, work, uh, at the factory or his civilian job, um, you know, he's covered under workman's compensation. But we don't have any such thing for our troops that go, uh, in harm's way and sometimes suffer through no fault of their own. Uh, a great deal of uh, uh, damage to their bodies and lasting effects. And, you know, over the years, Congress has uh, said, we're going to make this right, and we're going to take care of those people who have been uh, injured uh, while serving in our, um, in our armed forces. And so that's why you have the uh, VA disability benefits. And, uh, you know, so that a soldier serving in our army or sailor in our navy, etc., is not uh, a second-class employee. They they give the very best, they give the utmost, and they ought to be uh, uh, regarded in that same way as being uh, uh, valuable to our nation. So <clears throat> the system of uh, benefits been in place by the Veterans Administration, and, you know, I run into veterans over time, and they uh, tell me, well, you know, no, I, uh, you know, I didn't uh, really suffer anything, and, you know, there's, sometimes there's a, a tendency for these folks to uh, 
minimize the damage that may have been suffered by them. And, you know, back of their minds, they're thinking about uh, their buddy who did not survive. And so it uh, it makes them reluctant to file uh, a claim when there are folks who uh, <clears throat> believe that uh, it's some sort of uh, welfare or whatever. But, you know, I find as uh, these veterans get older, these, these um, disabilities they have uh, tend to get worse and worse. And so I would highly encourage <clears throat> anybody who has served um, that they have suffered any kind of uh, injury from hearing loss to PTSD to traumatic amputation of uh, limbs. Just, uh, I would highly encourage them to uh, talk to a service officer from one of the uh, veteran service organizations and to find out, you know, what, what sort of claim they might be able to file. Um, it's the, it, and it's difficult. I talked to a young man today, served for uh, several years uh, in the Marine, and, uh, you know, his particular thing kept him from ever pursuing anything further than what he had been given at discharge uh, is that uh, he was led to believe that uh, they would probably reduce his benefits if he asked for anything more. And <clears throat> unfortunately, there are occasions when that sort of thing um, does happen. Uh, but uh, if you have good advice uh, to be kept out of that, uh, out of danger for anything like that. So I would highly encourage folks to talk to a service officer about what they might be entitled to. Service officers you can find at any veteran service organization. Your American Legion, Disabled American Veterans, Veterans of Foreign Wars, there's a host of others. Uh, and, uh, you know, most states have a uh, Department of Veteran Services or something similar, whatever the state decided to name it. But these also have uh, service officers whose function it is to um, lay this out for you. And uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, I want to see as many veterans as are entitled to go and Get these uh, payments. And I always uh, come in after your comments, Phil, with with one other statement, and that holds true not only for the veterans, but the veterans' families. Even if your husband or your family member is deceased, you still may have some rights, or your kids may have some rights that uh, a service officer can help you with. And you should take advantage of them. That's what they're there for. And uh, whether you're, you know, a widow or whatever the circumstances might be, uh, or a friend, you know, if if you know a situation, maybe your friend doesn't know that the VA has opportunities for uh, those that didn't come back or those that are, unable to go to the VA. So, you know, don't don't get turned away quickly. Uh, go and talk to a service officer. They can help you through many, many crises. Yeah, and of course, you know, the VA is a, is a bureaucracy. There are a lot of folks there that are 
trying to do their very best, but, um, you know, a bureaucracy by its nature is uh, somewhat unwieldy, and uh, so, uh, <clears throat> you know, people get turned away, uh, and they, they're of the opinion that, that, you know, they can't get anything, when, in fact, that wasn't really the answer they were given, they just uh, misinterpreted what was said. So, um, you know, I, I highly encourage folks to get good advice. Uh, and you don't have to pay an attorney for this. There are plenty of organizations out there to help you. And they will help you. It's different levels of competence, of course, as in anything. But uh, you'll find if you engage with a service officer, you'll find they are quite helpful and uh, quite knowledgeable about uh, your uh, situation, what you might be entitled to. You know, the, the VA doesn't, they, they won't sit down and tell you what you're entitled to. They don't have the resources to, uh, to counsel you in that way. Uh, well, or if they do, they're very um, crowded with folks trying to get in there. So, uh you know, that's why your state organizations or uh, your veteran service organizations are excellent for this. And I would say in many, if not most, or all, those service officers are more up-to-date and more knowledgeable about working the system than of your, I don't want to say run-of-the-mill, but your run-of-the-mill attorney that doesn't keep up with it. And you'll be spending a lot of money when it it doesn't have to cost you a thing. The service officers, that's their job, and they do a very, very good job of it because they are veterans for the most part, and they may, may have suffered or had the same experience that you're having. And there's a there's a brotherhood between veterans and the veteran on the other side of the desk has your interest in heart because he's a brother veteran or a sister veteran. Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> there are very few that I've encountered veteran service officers who are not veterans themselves. And so... I think you'll find that uh, they are most uh, inclined to help other veterans, and uh, and they've been where you've been, and they know uh, what what the kind of hardships you face. So I have a I have a presentation that I do uh, for uh, veterans about uh, benefits that they can have, may have accrued, and the, um, thank you very much, David, for giving me last week off, because I was on a cruise in the Caribbean, and they had uh, several meetings during the cruise of uh, veterans who just wanted to get together, fellowship, and uh, so I gave my presentation a couple of times to the veterans groups there, there, there a lot of eyes were opened, a lot of light bulbs came on, 
when they started understanding the whole VA benefit system uh, in a way that is uh, plain English. And so uh, this week now I'm stuck to be inundated with folks uh, looking for help. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, it's not changing every day, but the VA and the benefits do change. And it may be a subtle change or it may be a drastic change, but you still got to know about it. And uh, that's that's where the service officers shine. They're on top of the new stuff, the old stuff, and the middle stuff. And, uh, you know, depending on how long a person's been a service officer, You'd be amazed at what they may have seen or what they may have heard and what they may, what they have to deal with. And, uh, I think this is one of the areas that, uh, is the most important about if you're a veteran or you're a member of a veteran's family, then talk to a service officer. That's our best advice we can give every week. And, uh, it'll mean, it can mean all the difference in the world to the veteran and to their family. Service officer. Well, David, full, full disclosure, uh, last, uh, last week I was elected to be commander of the Marietta chapter, chapter six, uh, of disabled American veterans. Congratulations. Yeah. So, uh, if anybody's local to Marietta, Georgia, I would invite you to come to our meeting. Uh, it'll be on April the 3rd at 6.30 p.m. at 140 Powers Ferry Road uh, in Marietta. That's fantastic. and um, you, don't, you don't have to be a member to come to the meeting. You can be a guest. And, uh, but you'll see the kind of information that's put out because... All the updates on what's going on. People can voice their questions or concerns with claims and uh, have knowledgeable people right there to answer. You know, Phil, not unlike remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm, there are so many people that, one, never served, and two, have no idea about the service organizations Oh yeah, I've heard of the VFW. Oh yeah, I've heard of veterans of foreign wars or, you know, but they don't have a clue of what DAV does and, and some of the other service organizations. And that's, it's really sad because those organizations keep a lot of veterans propped up and those organizations we look to, they do a job that really the government couldn't do. And, uh, I think they're, uh, I think they're incredible. And, uh, it's a shame that more people don't know about them, more people don't contribute to them, and, uh, know where they can go for help. I mean, a lot of veterans, they think that uh, these organizations are just, uh, you know, uh, 
beer and bingo kind of thing. And, they, you know, many of them do raise money in, in that way. But, uh, you know, at the heart of it, there it's a service to veterans. And uh, you'll find it's, by and large, it's veterans that enjoy helping veterans. And, you know, the first thing I learned or that, you know, became obvious is that a veteran will talk to another veteran, but a veteran will be very hesitant to talk to someone that's never served. And it just, you know, it's a common ground that people have gone through and they can relate. And, you know, it's like you talk to a friend, you don't talk to someone that's never been there, never done that. You talk to a friend that can you know, talk the talk and walk the walk. And uh, uh, I've been very blessed that uh, even though I, I was a reservist, I'm still a veteran. Phil has convinced me of that. And, uh, you know, I, I, did my, uh, I did my six years. Not like everybody else, but I did my six years. And there are a lot of other folks that have done theirs and, it's, you know, we can all relate. And, you know, there's, there's few times that I can, that I go to the airport and whether the person is in uniform or not, you can pick a veteran out of the crowd. And if you're at the airport and you see somebody in uniform, be it a military or be it a first responder, Offer to buy them a cup of coffee or maybe a dinner or just say thank you for what you do. And we put the first responders right in there with all the rest because they, uh, they do a heck of a duty and our show, a, a veterans place, we cover the, uh, ones that are first responders and, uh, we all, we're all first responders if you live in the United States, and there's no military in the world that responds faster than the United States and their military. So, yep. Yep. you know, we have to look after them, and as they look after us, we have to look after them. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and, and the veterans are, will readily identify themselves to each other. But think about this: if you if you saw somebody, you know, or you're just wanting to make conversation with somebody, that necessarily even have anything important to impart to them. If, if you had to teach them your language before you could have a conversation, you probably wouldn't talk too much. Um, and you know, that's kind of the way veterans. Field, you know, uh, um, they've experienced things that uh, folks who never served in uniform have never even considered. Um, so um, that's part of their reluctance, to, you know, to open up because it's just it's too complicated to explain, if you will. Oh yeah, and it uh, <laughs> and it starts from that. First day or first night in reception, wouldn't you say, Phil? 
Yeah, the, uh, the uh, acclimation to the military culture happens very quickly. And I, you know, as, uh, as we've done this show and I do more and more veteran-type shows, I give all the accolades in the world to our military and the job that it has done over the 240 years that it's been around. They've improved every year. They they go from, you know, it's not only training in weapons, but it's they do a heck of a job on psychology, psychiatry, uh, knowing how to get the best out of men, knowing how to teach them to give their best. And I just, I, you know, it's something like you said, you have to be in to appreciate it. And uh, it may be, it may be like me. Sometimes it's 50 years later that I appreciate what I went through. And you just never know. While you're there, you're wondering, why in the world are we doing this? And then 50 years later, something comes up and you say, now I realize why we did that. Yeah, uh, you know, there's typically a reason things I know. Uh, for instance, uh, in the Army and in the Marines, you're not allowed to carry an umbrella in uniform. Whereas in the Navy and the Air Force, you can. And uh, I think the Marines don't want to change because they... Uh, are kind of looking at the army and they don't want to seem less manly or whatever, but <clears throat> the army's reason for not changing is, uh, is, uh, based on, uh, safety. Uh, because many years ago the army discovered that, uh, umbrellas have a tendency to panic the horses and therefore, uh, can't have umbrellas. In them. So there's always a reason. <laughs> it may be a little, uh, in today's world, it may be a little strange, but there's always yeah, a reason. I, yeah, we have to admit, I haven't heard of many uh, stampedes happening at uh, any Army installation uh, in, in recent years, so it's apparently working. But, you know, can't you just imagine, Phil, the manual on... The proficiency, learning the proficiency of carrying an umbrella. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, today they'd have to, you know, have a whole thing about pronouns. Six hundred pages of how to use an umbrella, and I bet they'd even explain when you needed to use an umbrella. Yeah, they, and of course they would use a. Uh, they wouldn't just call it an umbrella. It would be, you know, sort of rain-repellent device, <laughs> collapsible rain-repellent repel device. Or protection and, device. You know, all, all of your uh, nomenclature for your equipment, a lot of it starts with A slash N, like an AM GRC 47 radio. <laughs> you know what A slash N stands for? You're going to tell me. It stands for Army slash Navy. Ah. <laughs> two branch, it covers two branches, huh? Well, 
those are the two branches that are in the Constitution. Um, yeah, commander in chief of the, uh, the the president shall be the commander in chief of the army and the navy. But it says in the Constitution, but well, we don't use that anymore. <laughs> Constitution, that is. Well, we, we certainly don't require it being read. Or followed. That's true, too. But, in but anyway, it's uh, still the best in the world. Yeah, oh, our, there's nothing wrong with our Constitution. Just the interpretation. Uh, well, that's it. it's fallen out of use. The problem. Uh, <clears throat> And, you know, I've said before, we need to repeal the 17th Amendment for the Constitution because it's resulted in the same, in this nonsense you see going on on Capitol Hill these days. Well, maybe one of these days it will be. Changed the, uh, the way senators were appointed. It went from, uh, appointing by state legislature to, uh, direct election and that uh, has not has not served us well over the years not at all and uh, you uh, again and when you said 17th amendment I I had to scratch my head quickly even though you've addressed it a number of times uh, I bet 99 out of 100 couldn't, wouldn't have a clue what the 17th Amendment was, or is. I shouldn't say was, because it still is. But, uh, yeah. you know, again, it's, it's hard to fault everybody. Um, yeah, well, you know, um, each generation has to, you know, do the, what they can with what they will, uh, with, you know, uh, as Donald Rumsfeld says, you go to war with the army you have at the time. Of course, he was crucified for that statement. Um, but it just seems obvious to me. Um, but, <clears throat> so, you know, uh, one more thing on veterans, David. If anybody knows uh, a veteran who may be suffering uh, any kind of mental distress, um, you know, there's a veterans crisis line. Um, you know, uh, there are all sorts of, uh, counseling available, available to, uh, veterans. And one of the greatest, uh, problems that we uh, have is visual to, you know, the folks we've sent into harm's way in the past few decades of, uh, veteran suicide. Uh, and I would encourage folks to maybe get some training in how to intervene, how to recognize this problem. Oh, the number's astronomical. And again, yeah. this is a good opportunity for me to invite everyone to listen at 10 o'clock on Thursday mornings to a veteran's place with Dr. Don Moeller. And uh, Don is not only a dentist, but he's also a medical doctor. And... Uh, 
He's got a device. If you are having trouble sleeping because you have PTSD, Don can help you. And uh, it's well worth your while to listen. And he's always talking about service officers and how they help. So, with that being said, we're going to have to to leave and look forward to coming back next week with a veteran with remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. Phil, thank you. Thank you, David. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.